0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: To me it's not to be scared and worried that if you go one route, kind of, oh, does it close every other door? I think that was my main concern at the time, that if I do just kind of hold this passion for chemistry and nuclear, am I closing lots of other doors? I think the answer is, no, I'm not.
0: Today I'm talking to Robert Alford who is the Senior Strategic and Economic Advisor within the Nuclear Innovation Research Office or NIRO which sits within the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Robert lives in Cumbria and is a qualified sub-aqua ocean diver and does plenty of walking and cycling in his free time as well as volunteering. Welcome Robert, it's lovely to see you. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Robert, you grew up or you started life in Canada, in Vancouver, and then at the age of two came to the UK to settle in Cheshire. So tell us what your early years were like. What were you like at school in Cheshire?
1: Indeed. So, yes, my parents are both British, Andrew, but were seconded out to Vancouver to work for a company called Kometics for four years. And while out there, they had me. Most people bring back a totem pole, they brought back a human. Um, So yes, my brother's 10 years older than me, um, and yeah, he was out there and then came back when we were two. Um, So yes, growing up in Cheshire, I was quite sort of studious at school, always wanted to kind of do my best. was always very attentive and very keen to, to learn more. And I suppose a memory here of always being inquisitive is that I was interested to know what happened if I turned the washing machine dial the wrong way. The washing machines back then, you meant to turn them one way and they make clinky noises. What happens if you turn it the wrong way? Because it, it, what would happen? So I did this, Andrew, and two things happen. One, it comes off in your hand with a snap. And two, you get no pocket money for a long time. Um, so that set me off for what I was like, Andrew. I was very inquisitive, always wanted to learn more. Always was just one, yeah, a very wide child, I suppose, and how and why on everything. So that set me up, really.
0: That <laughs> just reminded me of when I was little and I put the wrong soap powder into the washing machine trying to be helpful and I put dreft in which foams like mad and foams so much it jammed everything up and when dad came in and opened the front of the washing machine a great sausage of bubbles came pouring out onto the kitchen floor and I couldn't look but maybe I was being inquisitive as well. <laughs> um, so, Robert, you were saying earlier that a, a big moment was when you were 10 years old and your dad passed away. Just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes. So I suppose at the age of 10, everything in your life kind of fixes itself in some ways. You fall out with friends half an hour later. You're friends with them. You break a toy. Your dad comes home, super it. Everything's always OK, Andrew. Um, so, yeah, at the age of 10, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer given six months to live, and sadly, almost six months to the day Andrew uh, passed away. Um, And yes, thats it wasn't real to begin with. I think you are in a bubble. Uh, Dad was manager director of a company down in Harlow. We didn't see him many to Friday, quite often. So to start with, it it was quite like normal, to be honest, Andrew, during the week. Um, And I think it's just as the kind of time's gone by, and it's like, oh, I wish I could tell Dad that. Uh, and things. And I was very, I admired dad like like most of us do. Um, Another memory here is that um, dad had big glasses and I wanted to be like dad. So there's a school picture of me about seven or eight with glasses that are literally about half the size of my face. They are huge. Why my parents ever let me have the mantra, I never know. But yes, I was extremely close to dad. And yes, it was very hard at the age of 10 um, to lose my dad and my brother, who as I said is 10 years older, was very supportive, he took on that, that fatherly figure. Um, and yeah, we were, we were very lucky in that respect. As a family, we are very close and we're able to kind of continue. And dad was a chemist himself, uh, Andrew. And to start with, most my mum and brother were concerned that I was going the chemistry route very much to be like dad and that's what dad would want. Um, but that wasn't the case. And I think as they found, as I found my way into the industry, as i will probably discuss in a minute, that was very much my passion. And it wasn't me wanting to be like dad. That was my own me wanting to drive that forward. And yes, I would really want him to be here now and see what I've done so far with my life and in his steps. And he'd be immensely proud, Andrew. And I have faith faith that he does know um, what's going on. But yes, it was a very hard time. And still now it's those moments when, it, when it's very hard, Andrew.
0: Yeah, it, it never goes away and uh, is always with you. You know, I think you just get used to living with, with that gap uh, I know exactly. I know exactly how you feel about that. Um, but it sounds as if then, you know, as you, as you grew up through school, it was the sort of science side of things, the engineering, how things work and the chemistry, which really came to the fore. So t- tell us, what were the A-levels that you did at school? Um,
1: yes, you're right, it did come to fore. Come to I think the one key thing before we got to A-levels, was UNCO came in when I was in year nine and gave a talk about the nuclear fuel cycle. So going back to me being inquisitive, the why, the how, this idea of colliding chemistry to make energy. You take elements, I know it's not quite the same as colliding two elements together, you've got your neutrons and stuff. But at the time, Andrew, I was like, cool, you can take stuff and then collide it together and make so much energy. So I was very lucky that from the age of sort of 14, I knew I wanted to go the chemistry route into nuclear. So then at A level, I studied chemistry, maths and physics and then went on to study chemistry at Loughborough. At the time, you could do radiochemistry at Loughborough, at undergraduate, There were radiochemistry modules. So that helped me kind of choose Loughborough as the place for me. Um, so yeah, had great fun uh, at Loughborough, really loved university. I wanted a campus uni, um, and I wanted to be kind of far enough away from home to not be home constantly, but on good railings. So it, it was an amazing opportunity uh, to learn and to learn the radio chem sort of hands-on, do active experiments. At undergrad
0: level was awesome it's that's amazing that uh, somebody coming in to give a, a talk in a school to a group of 14 year olds inspired somebody so much that that has become your passion and you've followed that through a levels onto university and onto a career it's quite rare i think for somebody at that age to to get that kind of hook in them to take them in a direction
1: yeah, it was great. And I think that's why I'm so involved now with Young Generation Network, where I chair the Education Attraction Outreach Committee, because of how I've been inspired and engaged and what I've gone on to achieve. I'm just really passionate to do the same to the next generation coming on, to really see their faces sort of lighten up when they see kind of what, what I've done and what, where, where they could go with, with, with their roles and things. Yeah. Exciting.
0: It is. And, and, and at university, as part of your degree, you had a secondment to Croft Engineering Services. How did you find that sort of early introduction to the to the world of industry?
1: Yes, very fascinating. I never had a paid job as a child. I worked in a charity shop as part of my mine. Other than that, i would never had a paid job before, Andrew. So it was quite interesting in that respect, that transition from academia to putting into the real world. And I think I'm very glad I did that because I think it did allow me after two years at uni to really kind of go, hmm, this is kind of putting some of my learning over the last sort of 20 years in some way from school as well into practice. And I think then when I went back to my final year, I had that sort of industrial sort of link in my head. And I knew, ah, yes, I can see the use of some of these um, technologies and why I'm doing this. And yeah, it really kind of helped spark me even more and more passion into that. That final year so it was a great opportunity and i really recommend placement years when it's possible in degrees because it's a really good insightful experience
0: absolutely and i guess also you you start to see where the theory actually works out in practice
1: indeed yes <laughs> that's a good point yeah you definitely do yeah yeah
0: yeah um so your passion for nuclear was so strong you came and joined the national nuclear lab um, on the graduate program in, in chemical and process modeling um, tell us what it was like on, on your first day coming through into uh, into the team.
1: Yes and, and quite an interesting one Andrew to be honest because chemical and process modeling wasn't something that I'd kind of thought about as a sort of career or way into the industry um, but that's kind of where the opportunities were at the time and how I got into the company so it's quite fascinating that idea of walking into a sort of, or as, you, as we know from the uh, NNL office in Warrington, a big open plan office. I'd never experienced that sort of environment before and then being pushed to the computer, doing all the inductions and people coming in and welcoming me to the team. It was, yeah, they were a very welcoming team and it was quite a, a fun first day. I suppose we all have nerves on our first day in the job, but I definitely was made to feel welcome and settled into the team quite quickly, which was very good, Andrew.
0: Did you? Yeah. You sort of you, you felt quite comfortable, you know, once you sort of knew people. And I guess you were learning what you needed to do. That was that was a good experience for you.
1: Yes. And the team were very good. at these to go to like coffees downstairs in, in the, the tea bar in Chadwick and stuff and kind of have that sort of social side as well. And um, so you got to know each other in that respect, which was which was great um, to really you get to know the personalities as well as the technical side. I think that's quite an important thing in work as well. We, we spend so much of our time there, often more time at work than with our families. In some ways, you really get to know people more than just their technical abilities, which is which is great.
0: It is. It's about that community as well, isn't it?
1: Indeed. Yeah.
0: Mm. 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 Um, so then you 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 spent some time. You moved up to um, Sellafield and and worked on in a number of areas there. Was there a sort of standout project for you in that time? I think you were working with Neil Smart and people up uh, up there.
1: Yes, so I suppose I always wanted to kind of go the hands-on experience nuclear um, side of things, having done the theory, and that's why I did go on to the comment initially up to Cumbria um, supporting you through the Sellafield plants. And the bit you were referred, to, referred to there about the work with Neil Smart was a piece of work looking at safety margins across the whole life cycle of nuclear waste and how they compound up. And to me, that was a real kind of, I guess it's the first time I've not almost been in one sort of technical silo and seen the breadth Literally from the waste producer through to RWM and letters of compliance and all that sort of side of things. And that was probably the moment when actually you see how all the different sort of lily pads align in some ways and, and how it all, all works. So that was a great opportunity. And then from that, I then managed to um, yeah, do, a few, do, a few mo- do a few more roles. And one with the NDA particularly stands out there, uh, Andrew, where I was with Adrian Simper, um, the group SMT slashing technology director and being able to experience the wider NDA group at this stage and yeah, experience all of what Adrian gets up to. He's a great chap, I really look up to Adrian and what, he, what he's done and he, I learned a lot from that year. It is a, um, a one year sort of development opportunity um, called an executive assistant. Um, and it really was another great development opportunity to really see the breadth of the NDA and what they get up to and learn a lot from Adrian and his team. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great experience.
0: It's really interesting um, just looking at those sort of steps through, and now you, you're seconded into Nairo. A, a feature for me is is you are always looking to see where there is an opportunity for you to gain wider or different experience. And you're sort of comfortable, it seems to me, sort of stepping outside your comfort zone and trying something. So, you know, you, you volunteered to be you're seconded into Sellerfield. You then... Of, uh, you know, I know you've spent some time working post-radiation post-irradiation examination in the in the Windscale facility uh, on on site there. You volunteered and to be seconded into the NDA as as Adrian's special assistant, and now you've volunteered in a sense and pushed yourself forward to be seconded into Nairo. Do you do you kind of rec- do you find that each of those opportunities, something that excites you or scares you? Or how do you manage that sort of process? Because it's happened a number of times, hasn't it?
1: It has, Andrew, yes. And I think it's that, that first to know more. I think the first few roles are very much, as I kind of mentioned before, that sort of technical niche. And we definitely need technical niche experts. We need people to understand things into that depth. But I always want to know what, what that next sort of corner is. And that's kind of why I volunteered for Nairo now. In terms of we are very aware of net zero by 2050 and all these sorts of things. I thought, right, I I want to really be kind of supporting that. I want to be the sort of one of the sort of tooth in the cog of the wheel that that helps make this a, a reality, Andrew. Um, so that's kind of why I've always looked to that that next opportunity, that next place that I can really almost earn my wage. I suppose in some ways, I always want to make sure that I am kind of pushing myself, but also supporting the industry and kind of pushing my yeah, pushing stuff forward. Which is which is great fun and. I kind of thrive off that, I think, Andrew. Yes,
0: yes. And I, and, and I know it, it's it's also that element of you want to develop yourself, but also you want to develop in a way that's good for the organisation or for the country as well. So, you know, the net zero thing is an example of that.
1: Indeed. Yes, definitely, Andrew. Definitely that's what drives me, yeah.
0: Brilliant. So I'm going to ask you a little bit about your future. Where Where do you see your future going, do you think?
1: That's a, a very interesting question and I'm, obviously lots of people say oh, what's your 10 year plan and things Robert and I suppose when I look at people that have been kind of through the industry those getting towards the end now and, and I see kind of what, what where Sellerfield and things has has got to I think the key thing I say is I want to sit in my rocking chair feel like I've earned and deserved every year of my wage and I've made a difference to the industry so That's quite an interesting way to kind of perceive this, whether that ends up that I do go into a more senior management and leadership role or whether I do end up going more sort of the net zero, passionate, outward facing public side of things. I'm not quite sure, to be honest, Andrew, at the moment. And I think I've been immensely lucky in the various roles I've done to experience all the different things from specifically technical stuff to more the outward facing side of things. And then with my volunteering, sort of with YGN and things, I'm very lucky that I have tasted so many different opportunities and different ways of working, that I can now sort of almost sit back a bit and go right. So where do I where do I kind of get the most enjoyment, and where do I really want to, to push myself uh, next? So I'm not quite sure in terms of where ten years will be from here, Andrew. I think for me the key thing is making sure that I am passionately engaged and feeling like I really am supporting the industry because that's what kind of makes you get out of bed in the morning. Um, so that's Thing for me, I
0: think, yeah. and it's playing to your passion, isn't it? It's playing to your passion for the industry, but it's also playing to your passion for curiosity as well. I'm I'm going to take you back to um, perhaps just after you've been inspired at the age of 14 by that talk from Yurenko about the the nuclear fuel cycle, uh, and, and if you could just stop yourself coming out of that classroom and give yourself a little bit of advice written down on a piece of paper, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: I think it's taking the opportunities that come your way and not feeling scared. I think as a sort of decision maker when I was young, I was very poor at making decisions. If I was asked, you have a treat and go to McDonald's or do something else, I could not make a decision, Andrew. I was very much sort of, oh, no, 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 please don't make me make decisions. And I think the key thing to me there was very much about, yeah, if a, if a, if a door opens, try it. I think we are in a society now where an opportunity, a job isn't necessarily for life. I know with dad, with ICI, he kind of got his PhD, got into ICI and it was anticipated to be until you retire sort of thing. Whereas that's not what will happen with our kind of generation. So I think to me, it's not to be scared and worried that if you go one route, kind of, oh, does it close every other door? And I think that was my main concern at the time that if I do just kind of hold this passion for chemistry and nuclear, am I closing lots of other doors? think the answer is no, I'm not. I think we can always retrain. There's always sort of more evening classes or other things you can do. For now, I absolutely love the industry and I love what I'm managing to do in nuclear. But equally, I'm very aware that if in 20 years time, I fancy a bit of a change, that isn't unachievable. That is something that we can definitely do. Um, and I think that's a key thing to tell my younger self is not to be scared about the choices you make. And if it doesn't quite work out for that, that year, then try something different. If you enjoy it, then have fun and then try something new, yeah.
0: Oh, that's great. That's really, really good advice, Robert. So uh, thanks very much for that. And thanks for your time today. It's been great to chat. Yes,
1: it's been great. Thank you very much indeed for having me, Andrew. It's been great to have a chat with you today.
0: Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.